The subject this morning is no doubt one that our enemy would rather we not explore. You might ask why. Because today it is by God's grace to make known to you an unbeatable weapon provided to us by God. Now, this particular weapon is included in the spiritual arsenal that every Christian receives when he or she reports for duty. But you may not even realize you have it. But, but not only is this weapon offensive and defensive nature, but it carries with it more than enough power to completely defeat our enemy. And because of our inability to fully understand and utilize this weapon, we easily become bored with it. In fact, chances are that many times you've routinely fallen asleep while trying to use it. If you haven't guessed it already, our message this morning is all about prayer. Prayer is something that is absolutely vital to our spiritual well-being. In fact, aside from being a spiritual weapon, it has been rightly described as breathing for the soul. That's how important it is. So this morning, open your ears and your heart, tune out all and every distraction, and as we explore together this powerful yet often misunderestimated phenomenon. The best way that I can think to describe prayer is that prayer for the faithful believer can become spiritual wings by which we can potentially ascend into the very midst of heaven. But, as I said earlier, far too many Christians today have yet to truly test these magnificent wings. And that is a shame because these particular wings were designed for soaring upon the warm currents of God's love, enabling the believing soul to rise high above any and every obstacle that we face on this earth. That's exactly what prayer can do. But just as a baby bird who has not begun yet begun to fly the highest treetops, neither are we born knowing how to pray in most effective and spiritual ways. You see, there is a process of series of stages by which God himself teaches us to use our prayer wings. And as we go along this morning, you'll realize that each stage of prayer seems to prepare us for, if not lead us into, the next stage. 
Today, as we talk about four main stages or types of prayer, the first one that we want to consider is the most common type of prayer. Amazingly enough, this prayer is sometimes uttered by people who don't even profess to believe God. In fact, it's almost involuntary at times. We'll call this prayer, prayer of desperation. It would be safe to say that out of all the prayers made to Jesus in the Bible, nine out of ten were of this type. Prayers not offered in the calm, spiritual manner, but abruptly wrung out of the distraught soul by a terrible affliction or pressing emergency. In fact, what these prayers lack in spirituality, they more than make up for in sheer desperation. Now, many religious people will tell you that God will not hear unspiritual prayers from unspiritual people. But I, for one, will have to disagree on the basis of biblical history. Ask the blind man who had his sight restored. Ask the paraplegic who was let down through the roof but walked out the door. Ask the leper who was made clean or the demon-possessed who was delivered or ask the woman healed of her severe bleeding who prayed only in her heart as she reached out to touch this edge of the Lord's cloak. And let's not forget the desperate plea of the Pharaoh's Syrophoenician mother who persistent plea brought her daughter back from the brink of death. Spiritual prayers, hardly, but notice that they were all mercifully answered by the Lord. You see, this is reveal the true goodness of God because he does not wait until we're good enough or spiritual enough before he honors our prayers. And with his attention, no matter how void of spirituality they may be initially, rather he meets us where we are with what we need. In fact, I believe that as we face tragedies and trials, when we find ourselves or our loved ones in desperate situations, there is a nat natural tendency placed in our hearts by God himself that urges us to try out, to cry out to him for help. And often it is by cries such as these that the prayer life is born and a relationship with the Lord begins. And many times, out of these prayers of desperation, another type of prayer is conceived. 
when we find ourselves coming back to God again and again, praying that we would be delivered, deliver us once more from these perilous predicaments that we seem to stumble into again and again. We begin to realize, though, that working, the working of the Holy Spirit, that many of these situations are caused by our own weakness. And so is born the second stage of prayer that we talked about, the prayer of confession. Through this particular prayer, we are essentially telling God that he is right and just. And we realize that we of ourselves have leave much to be desired when it comes to righteousness. Now, the prayer of confession is one that is prayed not only by fledgling Christians, but it is also uttered quite often by those who are growing in their walk with the Lord. Because the closer we walk with him, the more clear we see ourselves and our unworthiness and our unrighteousness. Perhaps one of the most famous prayers of confession is the prayer of David, recorded in Psalms 51. After his adulterous affair with Bathsheba was revealed to him for what it really was by the prophet Nathan, David turned to the only one he knew who could cleanse him of this great guilt. Let's turn to Psalms 51. Psalms 51. Psalms 51, verses 1 through 9. Psalms 51, verses 1 through 9. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you have made me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop that I may be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out mine iniquities. As David most definitely understood, along with confession must come repentance. Because without repentance, confession is virtually meaningless. That is why the prayer of confession is absolutely vital for salvation. 
because it leads to repentance and revival to, to us, our desperate need of a Savior. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and wash us clean. And to the person who has never been, oh, to the person who never seems to need a need in his life to pray the prayer of confession, verse 10 applies to them. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. Believe it or not, but confession comes almost naturally. In fact, many criminals, even many hardened criminals, who have pretty much evaded the long arm of the law for many years, have turned themselves in and confessed their crimes because they could not bear the feeling of guilt for what they had done. If only true repentance came just as easy as confession, our prisons would be half empty. And so while we have recognized ourselves as sinners, as being powerless to attain righteousness of our own, we naturally begin the third stage of prayer, which we will call the prayer of supplication of God's grace. This prayer encourages encompasses a wide range of needs because grace, by definition, is unmerited favor or gift from God. To put it in its most simple form, this stage of prayer is where we ask God for things. Things like our next breath, our daily bread, gifts of the Holy Spirit, faith to overcome and strength to persevere, things like that. In fact, everything we ask God falls into the category of grace. Because we, of ourselves, deserve absolutely nothing. And it is only by his infinite grace that we receive his blessings. Now, if our analogy of our prayer life being like wings holds true, then at this stage of prayer, we are progressed somewhat from our original state of flightlessness. In, the th in this third stage of prayer, we are making short, low-altitude flights, maybe fluttering from limb to limb, but not yet soaring amongst the heavens. But sadly, this is as far as many Christians go in their prayer life. Miraculously, they have fluttered and fluttered their way up the tree tops of trees. But for some reason, they don't make the next step. 
Maybe they don't fully trust their wings, or perhaps they don't know what they are capable of accomplishing. But brothers and sisters, not taking our prayer life to the next stage is to forget something truly amazing. It's like owning a Ferrari with all that power and never take it out of first gear. All that power is right there, just waiting to unleash, but we never do. What a waste, yet so many of us ride around with our prayer lives stuck in first gear, not realizing the power we are holding back. Finally, the stage of prayer that many Christians fail to fully reach, the prayer of submission. Total and unconditional submission to the will of God. It is only as we reach this point in our spiritual journey do we truly experience that joy and peace that transcends all human understanding. To reach this stage of prayer is to be soaring in the very midst of heaven, to focus on the will of God that self is utterly and completely lost. If you look through the scriptures, all the great men of faith had obviously achieved this. The highest stage of prayer, Paul and Silas, for example, who were severely flogged in prison because of their gospel that they preached, prayer, prayed this prayer. Acts 16 tells us that these two apostles were chained in this cold, smelly dungeon, bruised and bleeding. They didn't lay there in self-pity, worried about whether they're going to be getting out or not. The Bible tells us that at, excuse me, at around midnight, they began praying and singing hymns to praise to the Lord. You see, they were focused on God and their will and, and their lives were so wrapped up in his will that they lost sight of themselves in trusting the fate to the God they so loved. And Stephen, the first martyr for, our, for the gospel, was another example. Even as he was being stoned to death, the Bible tells us that he actually prayed for those stoning him. He was genuinely concerned about the salvation of those men who were murdering him. How could he do such a thing? If you read Acts chapter 7, you will see that it was because he was totally focused on Jesus. He saw beyond the present circumstances and found absolute peace with God. This is what the prayer of submission is all about.
And finally, let's look at the prayer life of Jesus himself. The Bible tells us that even though he is the son of God, which physically, while physically on this earth, he spent an amazing amount of time in prayer with his father. It has been recorded that he spent entire nights in seclusion, secluded communion, because prayer brings power. And if the sinless son of God spent that much time in prayer to sustain his spirituality, how much more do we need? In the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus felt the weight of the sin of the world heavy upon his shoulders, then more than ever he sought to draw strength from his Father through prayer. This prayer was included in all three of the Simnach, of all the three of the Gospels, in a prayer that every Christian should learn from. Looking forward to the cross, but more than that, to the pain of separation from his Father, Jesus tells us, Jesus with us, faced to the ground and prayed these words. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Immediately after this prayer of submission, Jesus placed himself in the custody of those whom he knew would carry out the unthinkable. But if you read how Jesus conducted himself at this point, you'll realize that he wasn't carry, carried kicking and screaming to the cross. He didn't fight back or even talk back to those who were seeking not only his life but also his dignity. But as a lamb being led to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He was totally submissive to the will of his father. Sure, he expressed his desire not to drink the cup, but again, he ended his prayer with, not my will, but thy will be done. Brothers and sisters, can we, mere human beings, be so submissive to God's will, a God that we've never even seen before? Could we leave the hospital after just being diagnosed with terminal cancer? Or kneel at the bedside of a dying child and pray, not my will, but thy will be done. The simple answer is, no, we can't. Not without the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives can we fully submit to God's will. Nature, oh, let's, let's turn to Romans 
the eighth chapter, please. Romans, the eighth chapter. Romans 8, verses 5 through 11. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot praise God. But you who are in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, then if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells within you. The mind of sinful men is death. And we all are subject to the death penalty. But by God's grace, we can live. Now, as I said earlier, faith is a key to prayer. But did you know that prayer is itself a key to faith? Friends, prayer is so important, not because our, our prayers bend to our will, but because prayers bend our will to God's will. In other words, prayer strengthens our faith and allows us to trust God in his love for us enough to know that he will always act, always act in our best interest. And no matter what situation we find ourselves in, we can always sincerely pray, not my will, but thy will be done. Has your personal prayer life reached this stage? Is your will lost in the will of the Father in heaven? If not, chances are good that it's because you don't invest enough time in your prayer closet. People complain that they can't find anything to say that would take more than five minutes. Is that a problem with you? Well, you can greatly improve the prayer life and subsequently your spiritual life by following these simple suggestions when approaching the Lord. Find your prayer closet. 
uh, hint, don't use your bed. Avoid that because you'll fall asleep. If we do this, we will be like Peter, James, and John who fell asleep in the garden after Jesus told them to keep watch and pray. Choose a time when you can not when you're not sleepy or likely to be interrupted. Prepare your heart to pray. Listen to spiritual music or read a selected gospel prayer from the book of Psalms. Remember that you are approaching the throne of God and that he is very interested in hearing what you have to say. And he never is tired of hearing what you have to say. Because in the military, whether armed forces or in God's army, it is important that we keep communications with our headquarters. And how do we do that? We do that by prayer. And as we do that, we will grow closer and closer to the Lord.